All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. The Gospel according to Luke, as we continue through our series in the Gospel of Luke, we should be there all of 2024. And so we are in chapter 2 this morning, uh, finishing it out. As you're turning there, let me make you aware of something that happened this week. We, uh, we've moved into the 21st century barely at MetaView, and so we have an app. And so uh, the app is on Church Center. If you go to your uh, app store, you can download Church Center and then do your location and find MetaView, and it's a lot easier than going to the website, so I want to make you aware of that. You can join groups. You can sign up for different things. You can do giving. We've moved our platform, so there's a lot of different options with that. If you need help with that, look for someone in their 20s. They can help you. If you have an Android, do not ask me. I have no idea how to help you use your phone. So uh, there's that. I have another announcement. Uh, this one's awkward for Matt to make, so I'll make it. Elise and Cameron are getting married, and so we're moving from baby shower season to wedding season. And so uh, coming up on Sunday, February the 4th, we're going to have a, uh, a shower for Elise and Cameron. And so uh, you can see all the details there. And, and if you have questions, you can ask um, my wife, she'd be happy to give you some information. I just told her just now that she's going to give you information, and she gave me that look of, you're not supposed to say my name while we're up here. All right, Luke chapter 2, starting verse 39 through 52. Have you ever lost anything? Lost something super important? Maybe a wedding ring, maybe a, an envelope of money. If you watched It's a Wonderful Life over the Christmas season like I did because it's one of the best movies ever, you saw Uncle Billy lose the envelope of money, the $8,000, but mean old Mr. Potter, he had it the whole time. And so maybe you're aware of that. A few weeks ago, I was uh, trying to do some exercise, and I was running on the greenway, and all I had was my phone, and on the back of my phone was my driver's license. And so I was running with my phone, and somewhere on the greenway, my driver's license just slipped out of the back of my phone and was lost. And I didn't notice until I got back to my truck, and I was like, oh. Not only did I run that, now I've got to retrace all of my steps. And so I went right back and I did all of that, couldn't find it, but thankfully there was a good Samaritan who found me on social media and told me he had my stuff. If I would pay a large sum of money, I could, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. But if you lost something, you know what it's like. You frantically look for it. Maybe, maybe you lost your child at some point. Well, in this story, we see the frantic moment of two earthly parents, as not only did they lose their child, but they lost God's child. And if you lose God's child, you better watch out. That's a big deal. This whole section is a beautiful, special passage. It's the only area in scripture where we get any glimpse into Jesus's childhood. And so we get this one story, and we see that, that Luke more than likely interviewed Mary and this is the one that was divinely inspired that makes it into God's word. Charles Simeon says, There is little related to him to gratify our curiosity, but enough to regulate our conduct. So there is something that we can learn from God's word today as we look at Jesus as a child. There's things that we can see, but the main point of this entire passage, and I don't want you to miss it, is that Jesus is the son of God. That's the whole point. Jesus is the Son of God. This is written so that we might know that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, however, if you would like to have some application in this message, we can certainly pull that out of it. Jesus is the Son of God who reveals to us how we are to live as a child of God. So Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. You'll be reading from the ESV. 
You can follow along with me. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him along among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We do ask that as we work our way through the verses today, that your Holy Spirit inspired, that it would speak to our hearts, that your spirit that lives and dwells within us would reveal to us your truth, and it would penetrate us, it would place your word in our hearts in such a way that it would change the way that we live, it would change us so that we could see that you are the Son of God, and our lives would revolve around that truth. Father, we thank you for your word, in Christ's name, amen. The Son of God grew in wisdom, and children of God should grow in wisdom also. It says there, verse 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, an eternal member of the Trinity, experienced all the developmental stages of a child. Now, we take the incarnation at face value a lot of times. We say, yeah, Jesus came, he lived in the flesh, but when we think about his childhood, when we think that we left off, he's 40 days old, and when we pick up here in the next verse, he'll be 12 years old. That there's a whole lot of things that happened in those years that Jesus grew, and he grew, and he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom. He went through all the developmental stages. There was a moment when the eternal learned to talk. There's a moment when the one who created all things learned to walk. In his first three months, he would have raised his head. He would have begun to track objects with his eyes without his eyes crossing, if you've seen babies do that. He would have been able to grip objects with his hand. In the next four to six months, he would have learned to roll over. He would have learned to laugh. He would have learned to reach out and grab objects. From seven to nine months, he would have probably started to crawl or scoot, as some babies do. He would have learned how to play games. Maybe they played patty cake back there in the Hebrew days. I don't know. He would have learned to pull up on things. He would have learned to stand. And somewhere between 10 and 12 months, he would have learned to cruise from one object to the next and maybe said words like mama and papa, obviously not in English. And maybe he would have taken his very first steps. Now, that's great when we're talking about a child. 
just a human child, but this is God in the flesh, the Son of God. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? It's not that Jesus was the Son in the sense that a human father has a son. It's that Jesus is God's Son in that he was made manifest in human form. John 1, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal that is now entered into humanity, that is now growing in wisdom. Jesus knew that he was the Son of God. He knew it, and we, we see that revealed here even in his response to his mom later in this chapter. But in Matthew chapter 26, if we go all the way to the very end where he's standing on trial in verses 63 and 64, it says, But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Later, as he stands before Pontius Pilate, the Jewish leaders are indignant about Jesus' claim. And it says there in John chapter 19, verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. From age 12, Jesus recognizes that he is the Son of God. This whole story is here so that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God. And at the very end, as he's standing on trial, he's saying, I am the Son of God. And because of that, he is murdered. He is crucified and he is placed on a cross. He dies in our place, a criminal's death. This is what the early church put into a creed, the Nicene Creed of 381 AD. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was made human. The Chalcedonian Creed of 451 AD says, One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and substance, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same, Son and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll read that to you because we take the incarnation at face value, but yet when we think about him as a child, him growing, and then him being middle school age, really. It baffles our minds that the Lord had entered into humanity. Even as Isaiah the prophet had said in 11, 1 and 2, there shall come forth a shoot for the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Well, Jesus is the Son of God who grew in wisdom, and we also are children of God who should grow in wisdom. So what is wisdom? 
Wisdom is the combination of understanding or knowledge of what is true or morally correct, accompanied by the ability to make sound judgments when it comes to taking action. There's a two-part process of wisdom. It's not just knowledge. It's understanding. Knowing something and understanding something are two different things. Being able to understand something and then be able to apply that thing to your life is where wisdom comes into place. Psalms 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. So if you understand God's word, you will practice it. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. As you move into the New Testament, you see James, he also talks about wisdom. He talks about two types of wisdom, a spiritual wisdom and an earthly wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There are two types of wisdoms that are given here, but the wisdom that comes from God is wisdom that leads towards right living and right relationships. You can tell if wisdom is being lived out in your life by the decisions that you make. When your decisions align with God's word, you're walking in spiritual wisdom. But when your decisions align with the wisdoms of the world, it's what James would say is demonic, insincere, not real, not true. So growing in wisdom is living a life that aligns with God's word because you understand his truth and because you continually seek to maintain an attitude of reverent surrender to his word and his will by the leading of his spirit. Jesus, as a human, grew in wisdom. Proverbs tells us in twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Are you growing in godly wisdom? As you look at your year ahead, as you begin to plan it out, you look at 2024 and you think, all right, I need to make some wise choices this year. Let me ask you, are you making choices based on God's word and his will for your life? How will you know if you're growing in wisdom? Well, if your life is more and more aligning with God's word because you are more and more growing in your understanding of his truth, and you accompany that with a continual desire to make decisions that submit to his will by a heart that is in tune and abiding with his spirit, then you're growing in wisdom. Rather, though, if you're making decisions simply to satisfy your own will, your own wants, and your own selfish desires, then you are not growing in godly wisdom. So Proverbs would say, get wisdom. In 4, 5, and 6, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Again, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. James here says, listen, if you look at your life and you say, I think I lack wisdom. I've not made decisions based on God's word. He says, then ask for godly wisdom. But don't ask with one foot in the world and one foot in the word. Because if you ask and you're not all in on God's word, you will be tossed to and fro. You will be knocked back and forth. And and it really, it will show up in all kinds of turbulent times. You make decisions that then put you in situations that you're like, I should have never been in this place because I shouldn't have made that decision. You'll find yourself in relationships that are turbulent because you've said things and you've done things and you've reacted in ways that have caused problems in your relationships. Wisdom. The Son of God grew in wisdom. And as children of God, we should seek this year to grow in our wisdom and understanding. And we do that because we will grow in our love for God's Word. Number two, the Son of God loves the Word. And children of God should love the Word. Verse 41, as I said, we're turning one verse here and 12 years have passed. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Now, what can we tell here? We know that from Hebrew scriptures, every male 13 years and older was required to attend the Feast of the Passover. They were required to go to the Feast of of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. And these requirements were not placed on women or children. But when you became 13, you were then asked to be compliant with this. And so we see that his parents, both Joseph and Mary, they went every year for the feast of the Passover. And we don't know if Jesus has gone before, if he's been brought along, but we do know he goes this time, and this time is different because this time was according to the custom. And so what they would have done is they would have said, all right, before it's your turn to go, all by yourself as a grown 13-year-old man, that's a joke, we will take you with us, kind of a coming-of-age trip. I remember when I was, the summer I was turning from 12 to 13, my dad also did a coming-of-age trip with me. He flew me out to Denver, Colorado. I know I've told many of you this. And he met me there with one car, one tent, a whole bunch of macaroni and cheese, and we covered four states in five days. It was kind of like this stinky, no-shower, coming-of-man trip out west. This, I don't know what it was for Jesus, but according to the custom, Jesus goes to the city. Verse 43, and when the feast was ended and they returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. This one verse causes a lot of question for scholars. Many ask the question, was Jesus disobedient to his parents at this point? They say, well, he certainly must have known the caravan was leaving. He's a bright child. He's growing in wisdom after all. He knows what he should be doing. He knew it was day. He got caught up maybe in the excitement of the Passover, and he just couldn't resist, and he just slipped off and stayed. Well, this goes against all of Scripture. Jesus was not disobedient because Jesus was sinless. And if Jesus had been disobedient to his parents, then we could say that was a sin, and therefore that would discredit him as being the perfect sacrifice in our place. So Jesus was not disobedient because John 8, 46 says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? This is Jesus talking. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
Hebrews 7.26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus in the flesh was holy, innocent, unstained. He was separated. He was different. Peter, in 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Listen, even in his words, he didn't deceive people. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was not disobedient. But what does this point us towards? It points us towards the fact that he was fully human. He was a 12-year-old boy. And what do 12-year-old boys do? Sometimes they just are 12-year-old boys. There were times when Jesus, at some point, had to learn things. He had to learn that 2 plus 2 equals 4. He had to learn about relationships. He had to learn about faith. He had to learn and study God's word. And this is where they find Jesus. After three days, verse 46, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They were amazed at Jesus. Mike McClinley says, If Jesus was zealous to understand the will of God through the word of God, we ought to share that zeal. Stephen Cole says, Spiritual growth involves an active interest in God's word. An active interest. The Son of God had an active interest in the word of God. Therefore, children of God should also have an active interest in the word of God. Stephen Cole goes on to say, think of all the interesting things in a bustling capital city that could have captivated the interest of a 12-year-old boy from the country. He could have been in the marketplace watching vendors haggle over prices with the customers. He could have been fascinated with the agriculture and the architecture and uh, the palace and the temple. Uh, he could have been fascinated with the great walls of the ancient city. He could have joined with other boys in pretending that they were great generals defending the walls. He could have explored Hezekiah's famous water tunnel or any of the other interesting historical sites. He could have been watching the throngs of interesting people. That's one of my favorite things to do at the airport is just watch people. But he's not doing any of those things. His parents found him in the temple with the teachers, listening, asking intelligent questions, and giving answers that displayed an unusual understanding. And I love this. He says, if you want to grow in the things of God like Jesus, you must have a thirst for spiritual truth. If you want to grow in spiritual wisdom, you must have a thirst for spiritual truth. It was demonstrated by listening to those who teach the word. Asking questions, interacting with others, discussing the truth. Trust me, there's all kinds of things that can distract us, am I right? All kinds of things that we can allow us to pull away, pull us away from Bible study. There's all kinds of priorities that we can put on our calendar this year. There's all kinds of things we can sign up for that would hinder our sitting in a circle and listening to Bible teachers. That would hinder us from asking questions and engaging in scripture. There's all kinds of things that we could put before coming together in corporate worship on Sunday morning. But if Jesus was zealous 
to understand the will of God through the word of God? Ought we not to share that same zeal? As a child of God, if you lack a love for his word, you will lack the wisdom to live in his will. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Wicked is a general term here. It's a general term for those who are in opposition to God's word. They just simply don't have time for it. They have no interest in it. And he says, listen, don't, don't follow their pattern. Don't walk in their direction. And certainly don't stand with sinners. Sinners refers to those who are openly disobedient to God's word. Don't, don't linger around those who reject the word of God. And then he says, and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't make it your place to reject the word of God. So let me ask you, is being in God's word a delight for you or is it a duty? Are you zealous to know more? Listen, if, if you're not in God's word, you're going to lack wisdom in making spiritual decisions. Psalms 119, 9 through 16 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The Son of God had a love for God's word, and so children of God should also have a deep love for God's word. Where will he find you this year? Will he find you sitting in the presence of God with other brothers and sisters, opening up your word and studying, asking questions, digging in and longing for more understanding and wisdom? The Son of God was submissive to authority, and children of God should be submissive to authority also. Verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is the whole point of this story. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows who his father is. Mary comes up and she says, your father and I have been looking for you. And he says, do you not know that I would be in my father's house? He knows who his father is. He knows he's the son of God. He clearly understands that he needs to be in communion with the father. He knows that he has come to do the father's will. And yet, verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They didn't understand. Obviously, they knew Jesus was the Son of God, right? After all, you don't forget over 12 years how miraculous that birth was. 
But knowing a fact and understanding a fact so that it changes your actions is not the same thing. Listen, a lot of us agree with the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Would you agree? Does your understanding of that change the way you respond to him? There's a difference. Knowing a fact and understanding a fact are two different things. And not understanding often causes you to react in ways that react as if you don't believe. Or maybe you forgot. Often those of us who know Jesus as the Son of God wouldn't dare deny the fact, but we often respond to situations in ways that show we're not living like it. So let me ask you, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are as a child of God? Because if you know who you are as a child of God, you'll make decisions like a child of God. Because you're seeking to grow in wisdom, and you're seeking to love his word more, and you're seeking to understand it more, and as you seek to love and understand his word more, it'll begin to change the way you live. Verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Luke ends with this testimony that Jesus obeyed his earthly parents. Isn't that that nice? If you're a parent in here, you're like, finally. He's getting to it. I've been waiting. When you honor your parents, kids, you're honoring God. And listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. Perfect kids deserve perfect parents. And perfect parents deserve perfect kids. Am I right? Jesus was the perfect kid. And guess what he got? He didn't get perfect parents. He actually gets parents who react in a very emotional way. And what does he do? He shows them grace. Kids, a lot of times you're going you're gonna to think you know more than your parents. You're going to think, oh, they're so old school. They don't even know what an app is. I'm having to help them download the church app. This is ridiculous. You're going to think things like the Fresh Prince. Parents just don't understand. But you know what? They understand a lot more than you think they do. Because they've lived and they've experienced a lot more than you have. They've made choices that were not wise. They've made choices that if they could have done it again, they would totally not do that. And they paid the price for it. So, children of Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Often we have a hard time submitting to imperfect authority, do we not? Jesus did. We can learn a lot from that. Christians often sometimes can be the worst at submitting to imperfect authorities. Sure, we like to submit to our church leaders as long as they make decisions we like. Sure, we like to submit to government and political leaders as long as they do what we voted for. But Jesus and his example, even as a child, shows us that he was submissive to the will of the Father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was submissive. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man.
These are the last words we get before we're introduced to Jesus and his earthly ministry. We see that although Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, he did so without sin. It's remarkable to me as I was thinking about this, Jesus never had to learn from his consequences of sin. For me, I learned a lot of things the hard way, right? You, you make decisions, you sin, you face consequences, and that's when finally it clicks. I probably shouldn't do that. Jesus didn't have to learn that way. And as you look at Jesus, and you look at yourself as a child of God, you realize, I'm so thankful that he was perfect. I'm so thankful that he was sinless. I'm so thankful that he was submissive, that he loved the word, that he grew in wisdom, because he took my place. Because I am a sinner. And there is nothing good about me apart from Jesus Christ and him alone. So today, if you look at yourself and you look at 2024 with high hopes of new beginnings, grow in wisdom. And the only way you grow in wisdom is by loving his word. And as you love his word and you grow in your understanding of his word, you find yourself being more and more submissive to his will. And when you're more and more submissive to his will, you find him leading your path. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the brief insight into your childhood. We thank you for your obedience, even as a child. We thank you that we see that you have a love for God, a love for the Father, a love for the Word, and you were the Word made flesh. May our love for you be made manifest in the way that we make decisions throughout this week and throughout this year, that we would we would draw into your word, we would lean into your word, and we would gain understanding, and it would change our decisions. We would walk in wisdom. Father, we thank you for this church. We pray, Father, that you continue to lead us by your word, that you would bless us in 2024, and that you would bless the homes and the families and the individuals that are represented here today. I pray, Father, that as they leave these walls today, they would leave the walls with a mission on their mind to share you with those they come in contact with. And Father, if there's people here today who do, who do not know you, maybe they know the facts, but they don't fully understand. Lord, I pray that they would bow their knee before you, they would surrender their life to you, and today would be a fresh start of new life, of new beginning, of salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.